Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. On today's What Fuels You episode, I will be talking with Chad Robbins, the CEO and co-founder of Adaptive Biotechnologies, which he founded with his brother Harlan in 2009. Since that time, Adaptive has received over $400 million in funding as it drives groundbreaking research in cancer and other immune-mediated diseases. Chad has been named on the 40 Under 40 list and was a finalist for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. He's a husband, a father, an active board member, and an overall ass-kicking friend. So welcome, Chad. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah, I'm super psyched to do this. Um, okay, so we're going to start with rapid fire. So hopefully you're uh, on point and you had your coffee. You ready? Sure. Okay. Favorite podcast? Long Run by Luke Timmerman. Favorite band? Grateful Dead. I knew you were going to say that. Chicago or Seattle? Seattle. Oh, God. <laughs> Make sure your Chi Town friends don't hear this. Dream romantic getaway with Christy? Mykonos. Oh, nice. You're planning that, right? Correct. Nice. Uh, cuisine of choice? French. French cuisine? I like French cuisine. It's a lot of sauce. Oh, oh, I know. You know. CEO you most admire? Steve Jobs. I like that. Finally, what fuels you? Relationships. I love that. Okay, so Chatty, um, I know a lot of this already, but for people who are listening to the podcast, they may or may not know that you grew up in Chicago. Tell me about um, the suburb. What What is it most like in Seattle? Like, how would we, what was your childhood like there? Actually, the, where I grew up in Wilmette, Illinois, is quite similar to Mercer Island. Um, it's, it's, it's a suburb, um, relatively affluent, relatively uh, homogeneous, to be uh, to be frank. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it was a pretty safe environment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you could ride your bikes around the street and there get was together the 70s, with friends. the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was the 70s and 80s. Uh, remember, oh, I'm a little sorry. younger than you, remember. Um, so. <laughs> Not fair. Um, so I know I have the privilege of knowing, having known your dad, and I know your mom, and they have, to me, what seemed like quite the love story. So um, what would it be like to be kind of a fly on the wall in your family, and you've got your brother Harlan, so what was the a typical day in the house like? Was there music on? Um, my parents weren't actually big music lovers, but a typical day in the house, you know, my mom always made us breakfast. My dad actually would usually leave before we got up, and for a specific reason and purpose, he would leave at 5 a.m. so that he could always be home. Uh, he always got home for dinner. He always got home to uh, play ball on the street with us or to coach our teams. Uh, it was incredibly important to uh, to to him to be you know, very present, and he always put his family first. So that was the trade-off that he made. Um, you know, being a you know corporate lawyer, is that he'd get up at you know four thirty, be in work by five, and then be home um, in time to, uh, to to throw a ball around. That's amazing. And there's all sorts of things that say that kind of time with the family and time together has a direct correlation with somebody's kind of stability and how they um, and how they grow up. So that's amazing. Um, so you and Harlan are how far apart in age? 13 months. 
And who's older? Harlan is older. <laughs> so you're the baby? Does that, do you play a role? I mean, now you're the CEO. So what's the dynamic there? You know, it's a dynamic that's obviously carried through from childhood. Um, and I think um, what's really interesting about us and why it works is we bring very different skill sets to the table. We appreciate each other's skill sets. Um, you know, for the most part, uh, we're both learning about each other's fields, but it does lead to some interesting um, dynamics in meetings. So first, first of all, I think in any external meeting now, I, I preface the meeting with saying, just so you guys know, we're brothers, because we'll talk to each other in a certain way that, first of all, no one talks to a CEO outside of a family relationship, uh, and oh, yeah, and probably vice versa, too. It can be- Well, he's also like such a brilliant mind. He, it probably goes the other way, too, where it's like, who's pushing back on him? You. <laughs> you know, you've got that personality that you can do that with him also and call him out and you can call each other out. Yeah, I, we, we do. I think we call each other out. Um, we try, um, you know, not to call each other out in so much in areas of expertise, but, um, you know, how messages are delivered uh, is really important, um, you know, on, on, on both fronts. But, uh, you know, I think he he's in a different league in terms of innovation uh, and and his communication has improved so drastically since we started working together he's he's clear and consistent and uh, and I told him actually the other day I mean it's a dangerous combination when you can not only innovate but you can com communicate those ideas and so um, he know. does a great job of it. I mean, when he's talking, I feel like I'm understanding what he's saying. If I'm just reading about it from afar, I'm like, what? But when he does explain it, and you do a great job of explaining it. I mean, we're going to get to adaptive later, but I, okay. I want to continue to sure. learn a little bit more about you as a kid, because I feel like we would probably have hung out. And, you know, in elementary school, would people that went to school with you then, many of whom you're still friends with, mm -hmm. have said this is definitely the guy that's going to be the CEO? I think a lot of them would. I guess growing up, I didn't want to be a baseball player or fireman, or I wanted to be a CEO since the time I was like 11 years old. You know, I read like Forbes and Fortune, and I loved business. I loved all business and just mm -hmm. trying to figure out how things work and how you made money and the different dynamics and different industries. And I still love that. I love kind of the range of, you know, I guess from the platform of Adaptive, I've had the ability to have exposure to all these different industries. and. Right investment opportunities and boards. And it's just, to me, that you ask what fuels me, that it's really, I actually think that also helps me in my role as adaptive to be able to see, you know, how people lead in different industries. Um, and so that's, that's, and I was like that. When you're very curious long. about it, I mean, you're, you are a curious person and you are a relationship builder and it's genuine. So when you're, you're asking about what people do, you're not just making small talk. You're actually interested in leaning into how their businesses work. And um, that's why I love this part. I mean, this podcast thing has been super fun for me because I think there's no just kind of clear path for people. And some people have known their whole lives that they wanted to be a CEO and others are like circumstances led them to that place. Um, but who were the influences for you yeah. early on? Yeah, my parents. I mean, but if you look at my dad, this this ability to connect with people and, and to actually be interested in what they're saying. And it's not not just like the what you would consider the, the high level or important people. Right. My dad was interested and, and developed relationships in his firm with the people in the mailroom and the, the shoeshine guy and, and the assistants. And that was really special. And it also taught me great lessons uh, on humanity, um, but also this just genuine interest. I don't even like the term networking. For me, you know, I'm, 
I guess uh, technically I'm always networking, but I don't consider it networking. No, I, I, I love it. I love I love people. I mean, I love hearing about what they're doing. I'm genuinely interested in what they're doing. Um, and to me, I think that's symbiotic, synergistic, whatever you want to call it with how I run my business, how, how right. I operate. And if it wasn't life. biotech, it would be just another industry, but you'd be doing the Chad thing where you'd be building relationships and that serves you in any industry. Yeah. Just to be clear, I mean, I call myself a mutt. I mean, <laughs> I backed into or lucked into where I am now as CEO of a biotech company, but that was not clearly the the design, the, the, the yeah. design path for sure. I've been in real estate, investment banking, um, you know, hedge funds, healthcare. I mean, healthcare from a, uh, you know, e-health insurance perspective. Right. So all these different things, uh, it's not it's not that I was destined to be a biotech CEO. Right. And so I know that you went to Cornell for undergrad and to Wharton to get your MBA. And so clearly uh, you're bright. And so was education a value in your home? Yeah, education was a huge value. And I, one of the big influencers in my life was my mom. Um, she's been a lifelong educator. Um, matter of fact, has some very, very strong opinions on you know, how schools should operate. She's been a, um, a principal and director of general studies for 25 years. Uh, but education was important in the home. And she, as much as... Um, uh, you know, we went to great schools. She always took it upon herself to say that she was the biggest educator. So we would write papers together. Um, she was more on the kind of English side as opposed to the STEM side. Uh, um, but uh, she, we would write papers together. She'd teach me how to read and write and, and critical thinking. Um, and we just spent a lot of time together. Uh, and it, and and going, obviously going going to the right schools, which today I, I think is somewhat of a dated notion, um, but that was important in our household. Yeah. And so would people be surprised to see that where Harlan's path took him to Fred Hutch and to become a scientist? And You know, another thing about my parents, too, um, money was never the, the, the driving force for what made a, a, a good or successful person. So my brother made some choices very early on to stay in academia when he could have gone to Wall Street to some of these big quant funds and make, you know, a, a tremendous amount of money. And he was just really interested in finding out how he could change the world, um, mm -hmm. which is actually one of the reasons that yeah, he was a theoretical physicist doing string theory, and he thought I that, don't even know what that means, but it, I, so I know it's so black holes, Stephen Hawking, all that yes. stuff, right? And the reality is, he didn't he movie. didn't think he didn't think that um, there was real practical applications of that. So he switched over to this new field called computational biology in kind of the early two thousands or bioinformatics, where he thought he could have a bigger impact. You know, and my parents, you know, at a certain point, he started making money, some money in academia, but it was you know academic money. So there was right. never th this path. Everyone knew my brother was a genius since he was a uh, very young age. So I don't think it surprises anyone that he has had innovative ideas, discoveries, uh, and kind of intellectual property that I think will absolutely change 
uh, how drugs are discovered and how clinicians treat patients. Uh, there's, I don't think anyone would be surprised by that. Right. And did you guys go to public school or private school growing up? Uh, we went to public school. And so was he able to, were you both able to stay challenged in public school? And, and what did you do in your free time? <laughs> yeah, we were challenged in different ways, right? Um, you know, I was I can always, picture it. Mm-hmm. I can picture the whole thing. I mean, thing. we were always friends, but, you know, I was always the more social one. Um, you know, I had... You got you moved know, into the other row because you were distracting your friends. <laughs> That was me like, also. Our, like our kids. I was always the social one. I, I was president of my class, freshman class, and it was a really big school. Um, you know, I, and, and I was the guy that was, you know, organizing or knew where all the uh, kind of social events were and the different teams and whatnot. Uh, we both played sports. He was a, probably a, a more accomplished athlete. He, he was actually starting running back on a big high school football team, but he was also on the the, the debate team, the math team, and a bunch of, you know, what you Overachiever.com. Yeah, and, and I did a lot, you know, I had a lot of um, extracurricular activities as, as, as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we were very, very different personalities in high school as we are today. Yeah, and so you went to Cornell, and how did you choose Cornell? Because you probably had some options. I chose Cornell. I applied early decision because the campus was beautiful, and I was re- really into the outdoors. And they had a an undergraduate kind of entrepreneurial program. Um, it was actually... Did you uh, study? Is it that that was the degree? Uh, actually, so Cornell was... Uh, uh, actually, it was the the business school was in the, the ag school because it was a state school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was in uh, agricultural resource and manager economics, which there was a uh, entrepreneurship program in there, um, which, you know, our, our senior year, we won the the, the school-wide business plan competition and was super serious about it. I actually moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming oh, after so cool. after my uh, uh, senior year in college to, to look at starting a, uh, a business. We were a little bit before our time, but it was, think about it as like a, um, a credit-based system for outdoor adventure uh, luxury travel packages. I don't um, think I've ever known this story. That's yeah, actually... it's called American Beauty, uh, name of a Grateful Dead song. Um, but we based <laughs> and a on good movie. Uh, yeah, but based on uh, how long you'd stay, you get a certain number of credits that you could allocate in the winter towards heli skiing or ice climbing, and in oh, the summer towards um, whitewater rafting or or yoga. There was different categories of how many points oh, you could spend. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. I love that idea. I think yeah. that would thrive today. It would. It's been done. Uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of things out there that yeah. mirror that. But we were a little bit ahead of our time. We were also way too. We were pretty ambitious. We needed, you know, Did tens you of millions. Of, no, we needed tens of millions of dollars. We had a piece of land picked out on the Snake River that had a resort designation. We were looking at potentially buying a rafting company, and you know, the, the partners I was uh, doing it with, who. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 we were great people, but um, it, it probably wasn't the right we're on fit. Different pages yeah, we're on different pages. Ambition. Yeah. And so, um, what did you stand for at that time? Like, where were you involved and engaged? I mean, most college kids are kind of like, "Where's the next party?" and "How do I get to the next day?" But um, I know that you're engaged in kind of the world around you. Were you like that in college? I, I was always interested in in the world around me. Going back to growing up, my dad was a uh, um, you know, trustee for um, the village of Wilmette, and uh, and both my parents were very involved in politics. My dad probably more so than 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 my mom, um, but super interested in it. Um, super interested in 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 the fact that we were privileged, and and with privilege comes responsibility, and that we always had a responsibility to um, to to think about how we could 
how it could help fortunate. those less fortunate. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wouldn't say, just to be clear, I wouldn't say I was super political in, in college. I was definitely, you know, pretty social. I was in, in involved in a fraternity. I, I, I worked hard enough. Hard enough to get into Wharton to get your MBA. Yeah, yeah you know, I worked hard enough to get decent enough grades. And I was I was into the outdoors, right? In college, I mean, I spent... I like those old pictures of you. Like, you you were like an outdoorsy guy. <laughs> you were like a perfect Seattle guy. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, no, and I, so did you have teachers yeah. that were um, kind of big influences on you, either in high school or college? Yeah. You know, I, I, I did. Um, you know, there was... There was a series of teachers, um, I would say probably more on the kind of English side than particularly on the, on the math side that really kind of crystallized critical thinking, how I write and communicate, express myself, you know, teaching you how to think and not what to think. Yeah, I like um, that. And so I can remember probably one teacher in, in high school and one teacher yeah. uh, in college that were super important. But yeah, another reason, you know, in picking, picking Cornell... Um, when I went to the campus, it was just so, so beautiful, and they had a great outdoor education program. And at the time, go, transitioning from kind of high school into college, I was start, starting to get into hiking and rock climbing and stuff like that. It was in a place of the world that you could do that. I mean, I took ice climbing and kayaking for PE in college, stuff like that. And Things then I could be worse. Yeah, and then I spent a hundred days in the wilderness, like as part of this. Not, uh, not one of those like isolated situations. Yeah, it was a group. It's called National Outdoor Leadership School. Um, so I spent. Uh, it was probably, that's pretty badass. Yeah, it mostly in group I would go, I would go camping with you because I would feel safe. <laughs> yeah, my, my, David, my, David just, I would go camping with, but he's like a New Yorker, and I'd be like, ah. David camps at the Four bear. Seasons. <laughs> I don't know if I'm wrong about the Four Seasons. Christy camps at the yeah, Four exactly. Seasons. Yeah, exactly. I don't know about David. But I do, um, um, and, and just to be clear about that, I, you know, I don't know if that's a topic of conversation here, but I'll make it one. Um, my whole leadership style, and, and, and you know, to this day, is based on those hundred days in the wilderness, and. Well, so in what way? Like what, what yeah, words no, come uh, to mind when you uh, so, so it was in group settings. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a group of 12, but you break down into camp groups of three or four. And in that camp group, so there's what we, there was a thing called expedition behavior. And expedition behavior, there's a, probably some lengthy explanation. It's, but at the end of the day, it's just do your shit and be a good person. Do the right, right thing, right? So, and if you didn't, it's super transparent. Um, whereas, kind of in the business world, and yeah, you, in, can, it, hide I was, you can hide behind. You can't yeah, if you're rock climbing. Yeah, let me give you a good example. Um, so, like in the desert, when you when you get to, if you we we did a a twenty five or thirty day section, at what was canyoneering, uh, and you were kind of going through the desert, and when you'd hike all day in this group of three for whatever, eight to fifteen miles, you get to camp, and when you got to camp, one person had the job of setting up the shelter. One person had the job of finding water and one person had the job of cooking your meal, right? Did they assign it or you got to no, choose? No, you, you, you'd switch off kind of every, oh. every day. So, so this is like your tent group, right? So if, 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 you didn't, if one of those people didn't do their job, yeah. you either wouldn't drink, you wouldn't eat or you wouldn't sleep well, right? Yeah. So it was pretty transparent. And, and just to be frank, I was one of those guys, you know, when I wanted to step up when I was interested in a project, I would go all out. But if I wasn't, I would totally, uh, you know, loaf it. But what I re realized is if, if I was mailing it in, someone else was picking it up. And that's kind of not fair. Um, so I, I, I've taken that, um, I kind of took some of those lessons to, you know, post, post that Knowles experience to be like, 
yeah, just just do do what you got to do. Yeah, right? and take accountability. Yeah, I like that. You talked about doing investment banking, being in the real estate industry, working in hedge funds. Um, tell me a little bit about those experiences and how those prepared you for being a CEO of a scaling. <laughs> well-funded business are there cultures that you loved that you said i want to emulate this let me cover the first part of your of your question um i still think to this day that having that hardcore technical investment banking experience is critical to what i do and so by the way, what many people do. Yeah, that's a great foundation. Or consulting, for, or consulting, yeah. or something where it's rigorous. It's it's it's, it's rigorous in, in a couple of different ways. One is it's okay to like sleep under a de- like to to have that. I mean, these the millennials today, you know, don't get beaten up. We got beaten up, and that was okay. That was yeah. shaping, and you know that's what? That's part of it. And part of it was I never want to do this again. Um, <laughs> but I put in some time, right? Mm-hmm. But the second part of that is acquiring those technical skills of income statement, balance sheet, cash flow reconciliation, understanding true finance, understanding how to really put together a presentation and then deliver that presentation. Those things, um, and yeah, it's concentrated, and yeah, you're spending a lot of time, and some of it's you know, kind of BS, BS time, but at the end of the day, a lot of that time is just kind of those foundational skills. Now, what I'll say is what differentiates going forward is not the hard skills it's the soft skills and and it's the ability uh, to to connect to negotiate um to 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 manage to set culture all of those things are much more important uh, as you as you advance in your career right otherwise you'd be an analyst yeah you'd be an analyst but yeah. but to say that you know how to do that and to be able to to talk the language and to, and to be able to point out or fact check even one thing with with your team to be like well you know he actually knows this shit I think is a has know, that happened? Really, oh yeah, you know, yeah, it happens all the time uh, yeah. in, in the language and when it keeps people to, on their game because they're like Chad actually knows. Yeah, when I talk to bankers, I mean, having been a banker, we talk to investment bankers all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's a different level of credibility if you're For talking sure. about acquisition and comps and public company comps and how, how and, and discounted cash flow and how a business is valued. You just get a, another layer of credibility that you've kind of been there, done that. And how many of those people that were in your um, your investment banking class kind of stayed that course? Um, very few. Very mm-hmm. few. It's really, really tough to come through the, the, the system and, and be a kind of a long, kind of a career investment well, banker. And, and, and the ones married, that are. And stay married. And, and stay married. And, but I will say the ones that are, the ones that are the career investment banker, I would say that same lesson applies. So I, I'm fortunate to go to um, a bunch of different summits and conferences. One interesting one is uh, one of the kind of the best ones is the Goldman Sachs Builders and Innovators Conference. And you see the top people at, 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 at a Goldman Sachs. They're differentiated and they're in that room. I mean, they know the hard skills, yeah. but the people that are in that room are unbelievably charismatic people. And so it, I would just say it applies in every industry. Mm-hmm. It's the soft skills that wind up differentiating over time. Yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> I have none of those other skills, so <laughs> I'll have a job but in you, a year. But you so have that's good. unbelievable EQ. <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, that, that helps. Um, and so, so you did the investment banking thing, which I would say absolutely I agree, or consulting would be a great foundation for anyone. And Hopefully one of my kids will go that route because I used to place people in those jobs in New York and not many of them were that happy because of the work yeah. load. Um, 
but gosh, they were smart. I mean, a whole another level of um, like what you said. I mean, it's a great foundation. You learned there because you weren't leading teams there, right? Uh, no, I wasn't leading teams, but I had a couple of incredible mentors there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really... that a formalized thing or just? No, it wasn't formalized. We were actually. I was at this firm called Wasserstein Perella, which mm-hmm. was kind of popularized in the 80s from the RJR Nabisco takeover. There was a couple of like, great mentors. We were actually in the San Francisco office doing you know, high-tech M&A, so we were looking at all the kind of internet and search engines as kind of the internet was getting off the ground in the, the, the mid-90s. So it was a really exciting time. We were this satellite office, so a lot of the rules from New York kind of didn't really apply, and, and we had this kind of rising star. Were you working there. market hours? Uh, I wasn't working. I was I mean, there market hours. I was, I'd get in probably at, at um, eight or nine, but we would stay till midnight or one or later every night. Oh, every night. Um, I remember I had this um, fellow associate there named Andrew Donner. And we would, one day we got out at like 10 o'clock and it was still light out. Um, and we're like, what do we do? So we started to talk about culture, which I know is your passion, really. Um, but when you work for companies that are outside of your industry, I mean, do you see a common thread among companies that you admire and the culture that they've set? Yeah, I do. Um, well, first of all, every culture is different. And, and culture is, I call, I, I say culture is top down and bottom up. So first and foremost, you have to have a cultural leader and that should be the CEO um, who sets the tone of what you want this company to be, um, how you want people to uh, act. Um, How uh, they you should know, feel. You know, why they're there, right? Mm-hmm. What the mission is and what the values are. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean, I and mean, we actually do have corporate values. But... It's crucial. I mean, it sounds, I know you're you're kind of like, ugh, it's like cliche, yeah. but it's crucial because then you know what you're measuring against. Yeah. You know what you're looking for when you're when you're hiring talent. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and by the way, culture grows, you know, I don't think there's kind of born CEOs that know how to do everything. You, 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 you learn over time and right. you actually learn about culture over time, what works and doesn't work, um, how you how you want to lead, how you want to set culture. So when I say culture is top down and bottom up, I want to kind of set a general over, overall tone and have this you know grand mission um, and people be there in, in our case because we actually want to change medicine um, and we're working on something that will be an innovative company, not just in biotech, but we want to be an innovative company overall. And we mm-hmm. want to be compared to the the disruptive, game-changing companies kind of a, across the board. To do that, you need to kind of hire for the right mindset and the right type of person. And you want to set set a tone. Um, and, and great ideas. There's no monopoly on great ideas coming from the executive team. You want to um, encourage that open debate. You want to encourage thoughts to come from different parts of the organization and that voices be heard and that you have a collaboration across um, different uh, function of the business. We've instituted this uh, Emerging Leaders Program um, where we uh, put together cross-functional teams off-site um, up at 
up in my happy place yeah. in Sunkadia. And when we, uh, you know, it, it's for two things. One is we want to see how people work together and, and across the folks they normally work with on a day-to-day basis. And two, it's an opportunity for me to see who can communicate and present their ideas. Who is emerging. Co- and who is emerging, right? Yeah. Um, and, but before, and but before you started um, Adaptive, Stop. I'm totally yeah. interrupting you because yeah. I want to go back. I've, I've never actually asked you this. Do you remember where you were when Harlan called to say, I have this great idea? I actually remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in my home office in Chicago. Uh, he called me and said, hey, Chad, I had a pretty big discovery. I think it could change the world. Um, I've been talking about it in academic circles, and I've been um, kind of mobbed with interest. I think in order for it to impact patients, it has to it has to become a business. I have no idea how to do it. I'm calling you because you're the only person I know in business. I said, well, thanks. That's, Lucky me. Yeah, that's, that's how resounding. So he said, I figured out how to sequence T-cell receptors at high throughput. Do you want to start a business? And so first of all, I was like, yeah, I'm in. And then, and, and, and then I was like, I have, no, I have no idea what he's talking about. I had to like go to Wikipedia and start a crash course, you know, when you follow all the links and gosh, there's a lot of links in yeah. science, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a crash course on the immune system and immune system receptors and all this stuff. But I knew, um, I'll tell you how I knew that he wasn't crying wolf and it was a big discovery. First of all, as I mentioned, this is probably like now. 2008? This is 2009 when I got the call. So he just probably, you know, I'd been calling him for 20 years being like, come on, dude, you're really smart. How do we make money off of you? Right. I'm a total capitalist um, and, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I'd been asking my brother to discover something. I'm like, he got something and he would be like. I have no interest in starting a business. Like literally, so he had no interest whatsoever. He had no interest. And in maybe the he business. hadn't discovered something worth calling you about. That's certainly true. He he hadn't, and and I think that recognition that it needed to be a business, and that hey, I only know one guy because he'd been so disconnected from that world, right? <laughs> you know, like his circles really didn't include people in the business world other than a few of his friends, but he wasn't great at, so as great at creeping up with relationships anyway. So he was really ingrained in that kind of academic circle. So no exposure. So he calls me up and says he wants to start this business for, uh, um, we, we actually coined this term called immunosequencing, which is now, that's like n- huge. now it's popularized. But yeah. um, it's, it, what we did was, you know, we used the advances in next generation sequencing hardware and to, to develop chemistry and informatics on top of that to profile your immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to explain it like you're explaining it to Layla, my who, your well, like little she, baby Layla, my eight-year-old. Yeah, well, she's smarter because, than most of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> she's got the EQ. <laughs> um, explain that and where it was then and where it is today and take me through that real quick. Yeah, so... Layla. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so first of all, um, your immune system's job is to scan anything foreign um, and then react to it, uh, kill it, and remember it, okay, uh, essentially. Okay, <laughs> So that's, that's essentially, you know, what, what it does. And, and it does this through this really neat mechanism where your DNA actually rearranges on the surface of these immune cells to form these receptors. And think of these receptors as these scanners or barcode scanners, and they look for a match, which is a pathogen or something foreign that comes in your body, a virus, 
or bacteria, et cetera, and, and they're looking for this match. And when they find this match, you have kind of this reaction or this immune cascade. First, they expand. They go through what's called a clonal expansion, but meaning this one match makes many, many copies of itself. And then certain of these receptors go in and kill the bad thing. Then they remember it. And so you've got this memory in your immune system. And so what we did essentially is had a set of chemistry, which they call um, primers, that lay down on the genome. And from each one of these cells, we can pick out this genetic rearrangement. And we can do this in a quantitative fashion. So we know how many copies of each different type of receptor are in any kind of sample that we take at any given time. So in a sense, we can profile um, your immune system and tell kind of what's, what's, what's in your immune system at, at any one time. And so you, we can apply this to many, many different areas. It's this kind of really massive platform that applies to both how doctors uh, treat patients. It can inform their treatment decisions on a, on a specific patient. Uh, and it can also uh, assist in how therapies are d- developed. Uh, in particular, we're starting in cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a large area is because your immune system is involved in s- almost every disease state, whether it be uh, cancer, infectious disease, or autoimmune disorders. Um, and also what we call treatment modalities, so how a patient gets treated, whether it be kind of in cancer, like transplantation, cancer immunotherapy, vaccines. We can measure the response to those therapeutics and monitor that response over time. So that's next level. I mean, incredible. <laughs> and so when will you say kind of like, oh, we've arrived? And I don't mean, oh, we're going to have some sort of acquisition or go public or something like that. But at what point are you like, we solved it? We're done. Like, yeah, our job is done. Sure. Well, the job, you know, so first of all, the job won't be done in the immune system because the immune system applies because it applies to so many different. I mean, cancer itself is so many different diseases, Mm -hmm. even in autoimmune. There's so many different autoimmune disorders. And even within a particular autoimmune disorder, pick lupus, uh, it's not very well understood. There's unlimited applications of the platform technology. Mm -hmm. But your question is, when will you when will you do some big stuff, right? Like, when, when will you actually help some people or help some drug companies discover Well, and drugs? also you've got the other parts of the business, too, that I am curious about. Sure. And that Layla's curious about. So let's, let's come back to, let's come back to some of the other parts. But so the first and foremost thing is we, we recently got um, uh, clearance from the FDA uh, on, on our first diagnostic product called Clonoseq um, for measuring minimal residual disease in blood cancer. So what does that mean from a layman's perspective is that we can determine a first response to therapy. Did, did the drug work or not? Did it knock down that cancer clone? And then secondarily, is that cancer clone coming back? So we can tell at a molecular level before clinical presentation. So before you walk into a doctor with all these symptoms, we can tell in, in, in kind of your molecular information um, whether that cancer is coming back. How can people access that? It's already on the market now. We're doing kind of our official commercial launch um, at the American Society of Hematology uh, in, in, in December. Um, and we are waiting on, uh, we're working through Medicare reimbursement. So getting paid for That's tests. Huge. Getting paid for tests in the diagnostics industry 
it's, it's a big challenging because it's also to, huge. It's huge. Yes. What are you like most looking forward to in this next three to six months in the business? I'm anticipating that we'll be able to share more information on how our technology applies to therapeutics, in particular cancer. Um, it's something that we've been building and working on the platform technology for the last three to four years, and we've just rolled out. And I, I anticipate that we will do this in partnership uh, with some very established um, large biotech and pharma companies that focus on uh, in, in these different areas, in particular in cancer. Um, is the technology itself, I've been talking about how we kind of sequence the immune receptor, but then we've had some innovation that not only sequences the receptor, but we can also um, determine what pa pathogens those receptors are binding to. And again, we can do that at scale. Um, and so this is also the basis for our um, landmark partnership with Microsoft. Yeah, the yeah. Microsoft partnership yeah. Yeah. was super exciting. That's incredible. And so how are you spending your time today versus in 2009? And what are you losing sleep over? Uh, today, I spent a lot of time on, I'll call the broad category people. Relationships. <laughs> um, yes. Relationships, business development relationships. But, but even within the company, I spend it on trying to get the right talent uh, in the right places, so recruiting, uh, but also getting people to work together better mm -hmm. or providing the resources. Do you like that part? Do you like the managing of people? Or are you more like the recruiting of people? I like both. I try to simplify a CEO's job into really three three categories. Um, money, people, strategy, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have money, you can't get the right people. And if you don't have the right people, you, it doesn't matter what strategy you set. You need the people to effectuate the strategy. So it's very simple, and it's taken me a while to, to get there. So what do I spend my time on? I spend those my time on, on those three things. Yeah. Um, and, and probably in that order. You, first and foremost, my job is to make sure the company is capitalized and that we have— Well, you are well capitalized, 400-plus million. Yeah. You know, some of that went out for an acquisition, and we spend money. I mean, biotech's mm -hmm. a capital-intensive industry. Did so. you enjoy that process, the fundraising process? I love it. I mean, I— You're I, quite I, great at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, people, you know, you know people, people complain about people it, complain but I can about see you fundraising being a burden. I, 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 I love fundraising because well, I get to talk a, to. But you also have a great story to tell, I and mean, that's got to be fun. You're not talking yeah. about something boring. You're talking about changing the world, and you're good at it, and you're building relationships with people that are relatable. It, it checks every box, I would imagine, for you. Yeah, and 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 just to be clear, I mean, that's exactly right. And, and I've developed some amazing relationships with our investors. Our biggest investor, I consider a, a no, thought partner. Uh, yeah. He actually believed in us early on, a guy named Brian Kaufman from Viking Global. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were, we were closing up a Series C round, um, and he came in and said, hey, guys, if this is what we think it is, you're going to need more capital, and went a lot bigger, and has been an incredible, uh, incredible thought partner and kind of backer of management. Uh, not kind of unconditionally, but really think, helping think through problems. We've had a, a, you know, a couple of examples of that. So I, I like going out and talking and telling our story uh, and, and, and meeting new people and understanding what they're investing in. That's mm -hmm. a fun part for me. You talked a little bit about um, culture fit, which is a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Lately, that's been a big hot topic in recruiting is to like not say culture fit. And I've been saying culture fit for like 20 plus years because it people talk about how that can lead to bias. So instead, they say, talk about attributes. So are you clear, Chad, on what attributes someone should possess in order to be successful at adaptive? Yeah, I think there's some common attributes. 
um, such as the ability to debate openly um, and communicate your ideas. And, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, this might be too colloquial, but it's just be cool. Like, no be, be, I was joking around with my CFO who we're close with. About, anyone's going to be an asshole, it's going to be me. <laughs> no, it was like, hey, can we have part of our core value? Like, uh, you know, the, or, or don't be a shitbag, yeah. right? Because that's, that's true. Just be, 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 kind. be, be kind, be cool, um, you know, help people out, work collaboratively, try to give credit as opposed to taking credit. Um, but we also want, you know, culture to be organic and to flourish up. A lot of programs that have we, we provide resources for, um, but that have flourished that I probably wouldn't participate in or I never would have thought of, um, such as kind of lunchtime lectures where people present the research papers of the day. We've like these really esoteric, nerdy game nights where people play, you know, these board games that, you know, we, we have a lot cool of though. super smart people. I, I, and, and we do, you know, we also do kind of the traditional happy hours and we have a gym. Well, you guys do a blitter ride together. Yeah, we. I mean, we had 129 cool. people. Yeah, and how participate. much did you raise this year? Uh, I don't. Uh, something like, like eighty, eighty thousand dollars. Step it up. You did like over a hundred thousand dollars a couple of years. Well, that's ago. when that's when you were partnered with us, and before it dropped out, I'm not sure. Yeah, but my butt hurts on those bikes. I can't <laughs> ride anymore. I prefer to ride a spin bike. Yes. I'm scared. I'm an old lady now. Send a send a proxy. Uh, maybe um, I'll go. Th- maybe I'll do it this year. Um, but no, I think you've done an incredible job of that and you've got a lot of stability. You don't have a lot of turnover. No, we don't. And we provide, um, you know, we do cool stuff. I mean, we, we, we have like a stand up arcade game room. Uh, we, we, we have a, uh, adapt a fit which are branded gym with showers and locker rooms and trainers that's like, a cool that's actually a super cool gym yeah i mean i love it i i, I try to work out there it's embarrassing though because we have boot camp with a trainer and you know my brother and i'll do it and uh it's always packed it'll be like 20 people and i'm i'm definitely on the tail end of the uh the, the fitness craze there i'm you know, holding up the rear when we go outside and do the stairs i, I don't but. i don't buy that at all i've seen you run <laughs> stairs i can't do that and so you said that you spent a lot of time on uh, strategy, people, and money. Mm-hmm. But if you're organizing your day, do you feel like you're good at um, time management? Do you have any hacks I can learn from well, you? Well, my time management is a lot better now because I have an unbelievable assistant um, who really helps me and, and keeps me in line. One thing that we didn't touch on that I, you know, it kind of goes into kind of this time management and 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 one of the things that. I guess one of my strengths is I, I have a the ability to a process a lot of information simultaneously and, and synthesize it and also compartmentalize. You know, I can move kind of quickly from one thing to the other and then come back to the other thing without having it take over. So if I go from one meeting to the next or one call to the next, I can really focus on that call and then kind of come back to and pick up what I was working on That's before. That's a skill. Yeah. That's yeah. a that's a total skill. But do you have any tools or hacks that you can share for things that help you stay on task and stay efficient? In reality, I'm kind of old school. I, yes, I'm addicted to my iPhone, um, and some of it is just hours. I, I you know, my wife um, probably hates me for this uh, attribute, but I, I I sleep like through <laughs> very very little um, and checking my phone all night long. But and is that because it, you're stressed? Interesting. So some of it's because of stress, and some of some of it's because of excitement, right? It's not. And, and it's a it's, good stress. Yeah, we have a lot of good stresses, but just you know, it's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it has just been because of 
stress. And there's also, as you mentioned, good stress. And then there's just some some really tough challenges that we had to deal with, which I would call our just ugly, bad stress. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the reality is I'm old school. And, and my time management is that I have a person now that can manage my time for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know. That's huge. And so where have you failed? Not necessarily at adaptive, just in general, because we all learn from our failures. Um, I, so I, this goes back to, you know, every... Don't say I didn't get picked on the softball team in like third grade. You can lay down for this part. <laughs> I think the biggest failure goes back to what we were talking about is with people. Um, not spending enough time uh, in the vetting process to bring people on. You recognize pretty early on if someone isn't the right fit um, for your culture. And it's easier said than done. So I, I, Yeah, but you're I, you all know. heart, too. I mean, you're a head guy, but you're a softie at the core. You're a teddy bear. And I'm sure it's very difficult for you to let someone go, even though it's like slow to hire, fast to fire is the right yeah. approach. Yeah, and it's that's harder, lot, yeah. harder to do. Yeah, that's that, I think that's... That's easier said than done, but it's a hundred percent true, um, and I think, I think I, you get better at it over yeah, time. Like, and I think that you're is, fired. Yeah, <laughs> I think that is probably the biggest biggest mistakes. And one of the things we've always had this conviction, like conviction to our core, that we truly have a platform business, and mm-hmm. there aren't that many true platforms, and we've known it, uh, and we've stuck to our guns. Um, and we've had some battles, battles with board and investors and like really to say, well, okay, you guys need to focus on one. And I do believe in focus, but I believe that for us, the focus is on kind of the core technology and then resourcing the right applications, uh, in the right way with the right people, the right capital, the right prioritizations. And then you can prosecute your multiple opportunities to get at the same time if done right. You have to be smart about that, and we've we've been um, we have had tremendous conviction around it. I I don't think I've ever I think I've made mistakes or failed in my ability to communicate that up until up until recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's I don't know if you want to call it failure, but certainly a learning lesson. And so, how do you decompress? Exercise. Um, I, I hike. Yeah, and I spent time with uh, my lovely wife, Christy, who... who I love, uh, too. Yes. My girl. Um, you know, and she's been really a, a, an amazing kind of rock for me. I mean, with as much craziness uh, and kind of the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur in this business. I mean, she's always had the attitude of unconditional belief in me and that things will work out. And that is... You know, such a blessing to have. It's super appreciated by me. I think it's underappreciated in in the world how important that is to have that kind of because it is it really this really well, is that's a, par- a job. It's a partnership. Yeah, it's right? a partnership. It's, it's a partnership, and yeah. she and I, you know for for me that in, in our home it doesn't work for everyone, but kind of that distinction and delineation of of roles and duties kind of really works. Well, she's a master at it too. She's a master CEO of the home. So what would you say is fueling you right now in your personal life outside of adaptive and outside of Christy and the girls? Right now I'm reading this book 
called What School Should Be, and I just um, we just kind of moved my youngest daughter to a new school that's representative of a lot of the kind of values and tenets and teaching of this book. So I've just in you know recently become kind of more involved in kind of education and how people learn. You know, teaching you how to think, not what to think, and and experiential education um, and things of this nature. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that that's been kind of an. I would interesting... love to learn what you're learning because I had an experience like that in middle school at a private school. I had experiential learning, and I learned best like that. And it's always a question of like, are we giving our kids the best possible mm. learning experience? Not just are you going to get into a great school, but are you do you have a thirst for knowledge and a, you know interest in knowledge? Yeah. And, and I think if you remember back, you had a memory, but if you asked everyone kind of what what were the most impactful learning experiences, they're not going to say, well, studying, you know, On that um, the Civil War or, yeah. or, or whatever. They're going to talk about an experience they've had. Maybe they acted out the Civil War. Yeah. Or, you know, they right. that, that, those are memories for me in right. learning. Um, so, and, you know, and then separately— um, I'm on I'm on a few different boards. What I'm are not the boards on, that you're on right uh, now? The, the only nonprofit board I'm on is Life Science Washington, which is a trade association mm-hmm. for the biotech and medical um, fields within the state of Washington. And mm-hmm. I just joined the executive board of that. Um, I'm on the board of a uh, a company called Pavia, um, which uh, is a SaaS-based company for horizontal infrastructure, inspection and verification. So roadways, bridges, and tunnels instead of going out with paper is, and pencil. This is the hottest thing you've ever said. <laughs> like, bridges, yeah, tunnels. But, but, but it, yeah, so, no, George is, George is also another baller. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, that's the point is on, on the on the surface of it, this business like doesn't business. sound sexy, but it's yeah. super interesting to me understanding what SaaS models are, um, you know, how, how infrastructure, I mean, if you look at the infrastructure, roadways, bridges, and tunnels. I mean, this is a massive, massive yeah. industry. Um, and then uh, I'm a co-founder and uh, and chair of a company in the um, endovascular repair surgery for uh, abdominal aortic aneurysms, AAA. Um, kind of, com- I'm I'm big on this concept of convergence, um, when you're combining disciplines from different industries to move a field forward. Yeah. And so this combines kind of software. Um, 3D printing um, and, and kind of traditional CAT scans into creating a device that is much better to uh, repair an aorta in, in, in surgery. And unfortunately, moved next to um, Dr. Starnes, who's kind of the foremost uh, uh, you know, key opinion leader in the world in this space and, and had, a, again, another great discovery, which I just helped commercialize. Just to be clear, I spend as a proportion of my time outside of adaptive is like 99% yeah, well, of my you're, time. Because you're working a ton right now and you're doubling down on this as you should be. And um, the world will be better place because of it. So everyone is grateful. I'm speaking on behalf of everyone. So now you're in a position where you've got this $400 million in funding. Adaptive's got all sorts of momentum and it could change your life financially. Could put you in a position where you're raising your kids in a different situation or maybe slightly similar to how you were raised. But I find it challenging to, especially in today's day and age, to give the kids grit that you have. How yeah. do you do that? Well, that's a, it's a great question. Uh, but I, some of that grit you're born with, right? And it doesn't, I mean, some of that is just, you know, it's innate, inherent. Um, and then some of that you know, you have to kind of keep the checks and balances in. So, you know, uh, you, the kids need to, A, I want my kids to work. Um, yeah. Like, we, I worked growing up. I mean, you know. It's so much more challenging now, I feel. I'm sure our parents said that to their parents. Right. But 
I find it challenging. My kids are like, eh. Yeah. Everything seems like a big <laughs> right. to do, and it's like really right. right. But you know, we always I mentioned this before, but like we had this thing in our house with privilege comes responsibility, and you know, if you want to do certain things, well, at least contribute, earn some money. Like I mowed lawns, I, I was a waiter at a pizza place, not a very good one. You know, David uh, worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is <laughs> so what, awesome. That's all. He should have saved the outfit. He probably did. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but no, it's hard. I, I, I do think it's I do think it's hard. And but it's the values they they see like you got to see how your parents treat people too. It's like you know if my kids ever used a position of privilege to treat anyone different, I would. There are certain things that I would go absolutely ballistic about. Um, and so you know they see their parents treat people right. Um, they see us like at the end of the day, yeah. Hopefully, this is a double bottom line. We'll help the world, and we'll, we'll also do really well financially. As I mentioned, I'm a capitalist. I want to make money. I want to make my investors money. But at the end of the day, we, they also see me working pretty hard. And you're doing a great job for the people who are listening. They're incredible kids. But it's hard to keep them on that path and to keep them driven. Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, I think a lot of that drive um, for for kids is, you know, self self motivation obviously they need the right kind of tutelage and mm-hmm. watering and care but at the end of the day you know kids have a certain innate abilities and sense and drive that you know some have it and some don't you know and you can nurture it but i don't think i don't think you're going to give a kid drive you can't that, change them yeah i don't think you're yeah. going to change them so yeah no it's absolutely true and so two final questions if you had a free saturday to yourself with no obligations for work or family, how would you personally spend your time? First of all, you mentioned what fuels me earlier, and I said people. So, yes, sometimes I like to decompress and have some alone time, but it doesn't even excite me to have a full free day alone by, by like three extroverts. hours. We're like off the charts yeah, yeah. extroverts. That's yeah, why. Like, like two hours into You'd it, after, after I worked out or hiked or skied, which I'd love to do, I'd be like, Calling now pe- what? Call no calling people to be like hey you want to ski with me or hike with me like it doesn't excite me to right. have a full so I don't necessarily mean by yourself yeah. literally yeah. I just mean it's a it's an open canvas to create your day yeah are you in a city are you at a beach no are I'm you, definitely outside doing? um you know and it, it, I guess I like I, I have great days walking around New York City but when I think of kind of the times I'm happiness happiest it's somewhere when I'm like on a Super long hike, an amazing ski day, yeah, um, something of that nature. That, yeah. that, that's something that to me, physical and something outside. Yeah, something physical and something outside for sure. I like that. And so um, the final thing is, what is the legacy, Chad, that you hope to leave your family and the planet? Yeah, first and foremost, I hope people can say I was a great uh, husband, father, and friend. Um, and then secondly, uh, that we truly had an impact uh, on the world from what was created from, you know, a, a few people that we grew into something that had such a profound impact on how, you know, patients are managed and how drugs are discovered. That would be really, really cool. Yeah, it would be incredible. Um I'm so grateful that you did this, and I might make you do it again. This is super fun, and um, yay. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. 
You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.